to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, it's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. This week's episode features Dr. Zahir Dosa. He's the CEO and co-founder of Function of Beauty. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Casey Georgeson. She's the founder and CEO of St. Jane. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am pleased to be here with Dr. Zahir Dosa. He is the co-founder and CEO of Function of Beauty. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you, Jody. It's nice to meet you. Um, so I hear you're in Florida, right? That's where you're based? I am in Florida. Is that where you always are? Or is this like a COVID time period trip? This was actually just before COVID. Uh, I, I was commuting back and forth from Miami to New York on a weekly basis. I have always walked to function for the most part. And so there's just no separation between home and work and then decided to take the ultimate uh, separation and and move to Miami uh, just over a year ago. So it was pre-COVID and then now I'm back in the same living and working in the same area problem. But, uh, But yeah. When I was younger in my career, I had a job at a startup website. It was like 1999. And the, the website moved me to Miami to work. And they gave me an apartment. So but that was like where I lived and worked. Um, and it was amazing because I was like 21 years old. And it was a nightlife website. So my job was to go to like the clubs and write about it the next day. <laughs> this great. was a good job. <laughs> but um, the best part was like just like, you know, running on the beach every day after work was incredible. Yeah, your your lifestyle was much better than mine, actually. But uh, I'll uh, I'll live vicariously through you. So, um, does that mean that you're all work and no play right now? I, I'm a good, healthy balance. I I don't live on the beach. I live right in Brickell, so more of the downtown. I just moved from New York. Still need to be surrounded by shops and people, kind of vibe. Uh, so so I like it. Um, and, uh, and I have a golf simulator that I put in my guest bedroom during COVID. So I guess when you live in Florida, you're supposed to be good at golf or something. So, uh, so I'm slowly getting there. So let's, um, let's go back in time, but like really, really, really back. Um, when you were a little kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? An astronaut. That's cool. Yeah, I thought so. And was that um, something that you wanted to do and then it disappeared or did that that idea travel with you that, through your adolescence? Yeah, I actually wanted to be an astronaut for a very, very long time. In fact, Josh, my co-founder, and I both had the same childhood dream and both had the same approach to get there, which was either go into the Air Force Academy or Naval Academy. And it was a toss up on on which, you know, whether you're a naval aviator or an Air Force pilot uh which one kind of sets you up better to to become an astronaut. But nonetheless, so, so we actually had the same uh, set of goals and ideas. Um, so, so it was all the way through high school. Uh, I applied um, to colleges, also looked uh, at the Air Force Academy. Uh, there's just, there's just too much against me. I didn't have perfect vision. Uh, so that was disqualifying at the time. Uh, sure enough, the year I started undergrad, uh, they started accepting LASIK. But another thing was asthma. So I had childhood asthma and, you know, have a way of dealing with it. But nonetheless, that's another slightly disqualifying factor. And then the weirdest one was allergies. I have hay fever. 
And I guess based on the location of the Air Force Academy or whatnot, that was also one of those that threw a question mark. So anyways, I, I did all I needed to do to make sure I could pass the physicals and whatnot, but I didn't want to use up uh, a nomination since uh, people get very few to give uh, for, for something that I wasn't too hopeful in. So I decided to go the MIT route and uh, I guess long path forward ended up where I am now uh, in Miami with a golf simulator. So as I hear, um, when you're in high school, like applying for all these things, realizing that this this is not going to be your future, like what level of disappointment was that? Like on a scale of one to 10, were you like in tears? I can't believe that my dream's not going to be realized. Or were you like, okay, I'll pick a new dream. Like what, 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 what did that feel like at the time? Yeah, it's so crazy. It almost all added up together. I had a really cool internship at NASA. And so, you know, was ready to do a, a summer internship in an uh, in 11th grade at the Johnson Space Center. And, and they just didn't have my security clearance correct because I was a Canadian citizen at the time and a US permanent resident. And I guess something got mixed up. And so at the last second, ended up not being able to do that internship. So that was, that, that was probably like the worst. Uh, when, when you try so hard, get your dream internship, show up at, only to find out you're not gonna be able to actually do it. Um, and, and I guess that foreshadowed uh, the rest of my, my non-existing career at NASA, but, um, you know, came back, to Dallas and and really spent this summer focusing on how do I just make sure I have a really cool research experience, did some really neat things with electrical engineering and, and started realizing how much I I was passionate about other aspects of, of engineering and, and could also see myself really engaging in, in that way. I had um, a weird childhood dream to, to always want to go to MIT, which was randomly set but ended up becoming uh, becoming the, the proper dream for me to have, uh, at least when I had an informed decision. And so ended up uh, deciding to go to MIT for undergrad and, uh, and yeah. So out of curiosity, did your partner make it, make it farther in his journey to astronaut? No, no, uh, he did not. He also, we met at MIT, uh, he ended up joining the nuclear Navy and uh, ended up getting uh, some really cool officer positions on nuclear submarines, was like the, the top of his class getting into the program. Uh, he, he was great. Uh, but after about five years of that, ended up uh, switching into uh, heading up operations at Amazon. And then I somehow convinced him that uh, career automating uh, shampoo production at the time was uh, was the right career path for, for him and me both. So, uh, so yeah. Okay, we're going to get to that. But um, out of curiosity, did you read Mark Kelly's Endurance? I did not. It's such a great book. And um, I got to take my kids to see him speak because he grew up in a town next to where we live. Okay. Um, so the kids got to um, hear him talk about being an astronaut and um, you know, his brother was an astronaut too. So, um, it's a, such a great book for anyone listening. That's really cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a great read. And he had to work really hard to, you know, overcome a lot of obstacles to be able to, to make his dream come true. Okay. So now we're going to pivot from outer space, dreams of outer space to yes, the beauty industry. Um, it does seem pretty random. 
I have to say. Um, so, you know, I'm looking on your LinkedIn, right? Cause, um, that's where we all go first. And, you know, it's research studies about sustainability. Um, does, does that sustainability for you as somebody at MIT mean what sustainability to me means? A bit. I, I think my real research focus was on broadening what we thought about sustainability or just accepting that it was this idea of, uh, of, of flourishing and, and, and creating positive impacts and not just for the environment, but for society and the economy. So it was a more holistic and, and what I say is a, is a positive approach to sustainability with, with the idea being that we really used to focus on how do we mitigate harm? So how do we do less and less bad things? And largely that was focused on the environment. Um, but we never really focused on how do we just make the world a better place? And I think that was, some of the some of the aspects of sustainability that that I was really uh, impassioned by, I was really big about poverty alleviation, um, and then obviously improving the environment, but also thinking about improving economic systems and and the way it worked. And so I, I wanted to look at the intersection of of companies who are able to positively impact the world, not just do less harm by uh, improving the recycling programs. Right. So um, I think what I'm hearing you say is like it leads to the opportunity to kind of rebrand what sustainability means. Right. Versus, like it's not a, about a lack of it's about a, a growing something. Yeah, that's good. Um, you know, we actually my, my team and I at Base Beauty just did a, a workshop around the topic of just less waste because um, the idea of sustainability and like which plastic is better like i'm not get, i'm not going there like is it getting recycled or is it getting thrown out i don't want to go there like it's so complicated but like what about just making less stuff yeah um right and there's this um influencer who is amazing she makes like a mason jar worth of waste in a year and uh, um so that was basically the topic of our workshop and we had some packaging suppliers um, brainstorm with us because like who better to talk about this and people whose you know jobs are on the line in this topic Absolutely. Um, and we came up with really great ideas, but one of them was about like actually rebranding what less waste means and making the beauty consumer feel like she's getting more. No, absolutely. I think that's, yeah. Even though the impact is less. Yeah. It's something, you know, as a, you know, now, I don't know if we still qualify as a startup or not, but just, you know, a, as, as a young company, you're really focused on survival and, and, and growth. But sustainability has always been something that's been very top of mind for us. And, and so we, we incorporate it in really cool ways. So one of the things to your point is, you know, the bottles that we use, at least until COVID had shortages of it in, in some areas, are 100% post-consumer recycled waste. So it's still clear, transparent bottles, but it's all from uh, previously recycled plastic. So there's no virgin plastic in it. So again, how do we at least... Uh, do right by that or offering our customers the ability to put pumps or not. So there's some like aspects of it that are, that are still incorporated, but I wouldn't say that PhD and research focus ended up being the guiding light for function of beauty. Uh, just something that I'm, I'm still able to, to leverage and use. So um, do you have like thoughts in your head of what you want to do beyond beauty? Like, you know, for, for me, for example, like I'm obsessed with actually like making recycling work. 
Um, I don't personally have the technology to make it happen, but I feel like I can go out in the world and find the people who do, right? So, you know, I think of WALL-E, you know, the movie WALL-E. Have you seen that? Yeah. Right, so this is one of my favorite movies. Like, we don't have to live that way. Like, we don't, you know? Um, So that's just sort of what I think about. Like, well, when Base Beauty does XYZ and my podcast is XYZ, that's where I'm going to focus my time. Um, Do you ever have thoughts and dreams and sort of fantasies in that realm? I do. I I don't think they're one-faceted. I think... I think about a lot of different opportunities where I could I could give back and improve. Uh, so whether that is how do I think through job creation or how do I think about poverty alleviation or I'm a big scuba diver and I love the idea of growing chloral um, and and making new reefs. Although the reefs that we have been regrowing aren't too too pretty. They're functional, but as a diver, it's like okay, I don't know if I'd go out of my way. So, you know, there's some things in in ocean that that really fascinate me as well. But I've uh, I ended up just starting a a foundation, hoping that I can slowly put money into it so that I can slowly work on on all of these various initiatives and also give back to a lot of programs that help me get to where where I am as well. Uh, And I think it's a cool way to work with uh, some of my friends on thinking through what what are cool ways to, to give back. Is that foundation part of Function of Beauty or is that separate? It's not. It's, it's a separate foundation that I I think I started having this this itch and craving to how do I let, make sure I have an outlet for all my other passions and ideas. So so that just it just started like literally a, a couple of weeks ago. But I think when it came to to function, I don't want to say it was devoid of, of social purpose. The. the one of the things that I didn't like in in the industry, the beauty industry, which I think is still a weird name to to call an industry, especially when you know uh, beauty is something that should be more identified with an individual and a person and is unique. But was this idea of you know here's what beauty looks like, um, and, and and then creating. Uh, ads and, and imagery and, and perpetuating here's what here's what beauty looks like and and then we started getting more advanced by showing okay well if you are a person with you know darker skin here's what beauty looks like right or similarly if you have a man bun here's what beauty looks like so we end up coming up with various buckets to always put people in but still coming up with with you know with this idea or this image of of this is what what beauty looks like and and so i think that was one of the things that moved me josh and he and you know we all come from very different walks of life um and and just this idea of how do we just celebrate people and individuals as that as individuals and can we create a brand that's able to do that that celebrates people and so this idea of putting names on bottles, which is something we still do to this day, is my favorite part of this brand because it is this idea of, yeah, you personalize everything, you get this unique formulation, but it's this extra touch of just saying like function of Zaheer on a bottle where it's like, wow, this is like, this is mine. And, and, and you feel that cool feeling of upliftment that ideally you get from brands. Uh, and, and so anyways, I think that was one of the one of the more uplifting or motivational reasons to to do what we did and then obviously turn into this huge movement and uh, and create an entire brand around it. 
So you mentioned that um, it seems strange to call the industry the beauty industry. Like, what 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 can we rebrand it to? Like, what what should it be named? Personal care industry, mm-hmm. hair care industry, mm-hmm. skin care industry. Um, you know, cosmetics industry. Like, those are actual tangible things. Those are the products you sell, right? Like, you don't calling it the beauty industry almost makes it feel like you are selling beauty, right? Or uh, or creating beauty and, you know, packaging it up. Um, uh, anyway, so that was the idea by calling ourselves function of beauty. We eliminate beauty in, in all the, the assets that go to people. And it's, you know, function of Jody, function of Zaheer. Um, it, it's a function of each and every one of our customers. Uh, so let's talk about that journey from MIT to not the beauty industry, but personal care or, or hair care or skincare. <laughs> um, so, how, how did that happen? My guess is it's maybe a little convoluted, but like that's not a typical um, place to start. Yeah, it's definitely not. I, um, you know, one of my best friends had this had this idea when he was torn on where to go to for for high school, flipping a coin and going with the route that you know just makes you you know when you flip that coin you find out where you're going are you excited or are you just like uh you know and, and i think that the takeaway from that was always when torn on a decision do the thing that is less commonplace or the one that you're almost more afraid of doing or, or more you un- the more unique path with the idea being that the thing that's most different a there's a reason why that's you know that's tearing you apart, the fact that you're torn between choosing one of two things, uh, the fact that something is so different and, and shouldn't be even thought about is is holding its weight, I think, gives gives rise to, well, maybe there's a reason for that. And, and there's something subconscious that just drives you towards it. And so my path from MIT to function of beauty was was a series of those kinds of decisions. So, you know, Going into MIT, I first wanted to do computer science, was really passionate about becoming a programmer, but at the same time loved business and found some really cool internships along the way. But at the end of it, I was really gearing up to take a job at a great consulting firm called McKinsey. If you're in management consulting or, or whatnot, it's it's a big name. Um, but if you're not, uh, you know, it probably means very little to to many people as well. Um, but nonetheless, it is a great career path, nice high paying job, a really clear way of going from there to a really great business school and then figuring out what, what was next. And at the last second, ended up uh, talking to uh, a couple of my best friends at MIT who somehow encouraged me to just do a PhD instead. I was really interested in sustainability, social entrepreneurship, poverty alleviation, but never got to study any of those things at MIT. And so the idea was, why don't you just apply to, to do a PhD? It could be a really cool experience and maybe uh, a, a less crazy uh, structured path at education. And so the last second ended up choosing to do a PhD. So very uncharacteristic, literally had no idea that that's what I wanted to do um, a week before I applied even. Um, so but you were peer up... pressured into going to a PhD <laughs> program? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if peer pressure is the right, but maybe. Um, yeah, I was. I think they just saw that I wasn't as excited about the the opportunity, the path that I kind of really focused on on achieving. And, and so it was one of these crossroads. And I took the more interesting 
path. And, and so that got me into the PhD program. And in that, it was really cool, like really got to focus on some really cool programs and randomly through that started an argan oil cooperative in Morocco uh, with, you know, grew it to about 60 women with the idea being how do we get producers to create goods and sell them directly to consumers. And so ended up starting a couple small brands that started getting some traction uh, and and that was, you know, the Argan tree was the beauty component of that. So I had a shampoo, conditioner, body wash, body lotion, uh, and then just argan oil serum. And then one thing led to another. I was designing the site, then pitching it to Whole Foods and Sprouts and, and decided to do a survey on like, how can I really improve these products? Uh, and uh, and was not very enthused by the responses because no one said anything in, in common. Like everyone was all over the place. Uh, some were focused on fragrance, others were on, I want this for curly hair. Others were like, I want this to be more moisturizing, others more cleansing, like literally across the board. And so I just, um, I kind of sat on that. I didn't really respond to it at first, but, you know, my dad was holding like these uh, interventions, I guess, like these subtle interventions where I'd show up and there'd be a, another friend of his that was, uh, kind of gave me career advice because, you know, you, you start off as this golden child uh, with with a great education, get a PhD, and suddenly, you know, it's all of a sudden it's like, well, what, the, um, you know, what, what are you actually, uh, what are you trying to, to do here? But anyways, after this series of interventions, I ended up uh, getting really drunk with the same friends who, uh, who inspired me to really always take the, the less obvious path in life, uh, came up with the idea for Function of Beauty, just looking at all these customer, uh, not even reviews, just feedback from the survey and, and realizing, well, shoot, if, if the only way to satisfy everybody was, is by making a unique product, I can probably tie in some of my engineering background to, to actually make that possible. And, and for the first time, create a unique product for every single person. And so the next day reached out to Josh and Kian, who I thought were the natural co-founders, very, very different from me, very different from each other. And the three of us are very different from any set of founders the beauty industry's ever seen, but obviously is something we're, we're very thankful for and, and one of the real reasons why I think we've been so successful. So how statistically significant were were the survey results? Like, was it like hundreds of names, thousands of, of like, you know, I'm just curious to know, like what, like how, how big a, a source of information was that to inspire this really unique idea? I rounded it to about maybe 50 responses and I don't know if any were in common. So, so statistically insignificant um, that, that I realized there's just, and this is from a product that was really well reviewed, at least relative to, to its competition, and and still, you know, just wasn't perfect. And I am a perfectionist. I cannot create something that is less than perfect. And pursue perfection is one of the values we have at Function. Uh, the the military or ex navy folks have a have this value of continuous improvement, which works hand in hand, but it's, it's at the core DNA of, of our companies. How do we just always make ourselves better? 
So um, let's talk about this because I'm a recovering perfectionist. I, I see it. I see it differently than you. I see it as sort of, you know, not not great for me. Um, doesn't mean I don't continually improve. The universe gives me so many chances to do that. Um, so how, how, you know, like when I think about the entrepreneurial experience, myself as an entrepreneur and tons of friends and clients as entrepreneurs, like nothing's ever quite right. You just have to like go for it. Um, has that been uncomfortable for you, right? Like launching something or starting something and knowing like, wow, I'd really like, you know, hours worth of tweaks on this, but I just have to move forward. I think, I think it's twofold. So on the one hand, it forces us to make sure we never half-ass anything and make sure we get something out the door that we're really proud to literally put our name on and would be proud to put our customers' names on. So I think that's the first half. But the second half is it does force us to never get complacent. So we are constantly trying to improve what we offer, how we do what we do, the people around us, etc. And I think that level of, of never getting complacent has enabled us to continue to, to really lead, lead the industry. Because obviously, after we launched, there then became a lot of other players in the personalized beauty space. But the idea of, of never accepting where you're currently at, continuously improving until you're going to be perfect, at least make sure that we're never really looking at the competition and always looking at who we are and, and how we can improve ourselves. And that makes it really, really clear to, to just get us to hone in on, on our North Star and, and our vision and our mission and everything else along the way. So you told us that um, you're comfortable, well, you're at ease going to the path that's least comfortable, right? Um, so what's been the most, un or one of the most uncomfortable things that you've had to deal with being um, an entrepreneur in this space so far? I mean, it's been six years. It's like an eternity in this business. Yeah. And I think, I think there's something almost every single day. I, I'm trying to think through you know, as an entrepreneur, you're constantly trying to make sure that you're raising the right amount of money, not too much, not too little. You're constantly stressing about making sure you're deploying it in, in the ideal way possible. You're constantly stressing about every single person in the company and the team you're building. Is it perfect? How do we make it better? Is everybody performing at this super high level that we've set for ourselves? You know, how do we know when a product is good enough to launch? When, when do we think we should keep improving things? How do we say no to things? I think that might be one of the harder things, especially when we're engineers at heart who want to solve problems. It's really, really difficult to suddenly say no. Even though we can solve this problem, we don't want to because we've got this other bigger problem that we really want to make sure we fix. And so I think that's been one of the biggest obstacles and, and the biggest areas of growth that I've had as, as a founder is really picking and choosing what those battles are. But honestly, it is, as a perfectionist, it's hard to get a good night of sleep. They do happen. And when they do happen, it's the most incredible thing ever um, because it's just, okay, great. But, but then very soon thereafter, you just realize, okay, you're, uh, you've knocked down one obstacle. There's a whole host of others that, that, that stand in your way, but it's a, it's a source of excitement and, and motivation for us. So, uh, I think it, it drives me and, and I enjoy it. 
So um, for me to keep my head screwed on and focused on my goals, I have a therapist, I have an agency growth consultant, I have a coach, I have a sales coach, like I have a real village um, and I need it. Like I really do. I need them all at different points for different challenges. But um, like having that team is so important to me. Do you have any techniques or types of people that you surround yourself with that help you like move through these uncomfortable situations on a daily basis? Yeah, I think I have almost all of those things. So I, uh, I have a personal therapist uh, or had a personal therapist. I ended up getting a little too busy for therapy, which is terrible. Um, so I do need to uh, find uh, another therapist too. But I, I had a personal therapist, which is incredibly helpful. I, I mean, you know, there's a lot of personal struggles you go through as an entrepreneur and and it's a really, really emotional journey. I think one of my favorite partners at Y Combinator said that the hardest part about starting a company is the mental game. And, and I didn't appreciate it enough until I was well into the company and, and really torn between, you know, my personal life, the company went through, you know, a divorce really soon after getting married. So it was just, it was, it was really tough. Um, and, uh, and so you start to see, see the toll there. And so it was really helpful to have a personal therapist. I also got an executive coach uh, to help me really focus on how to, how to really take the business to this next level. And, and that's been really helpful too, like making sure I constantly improve. And then you know, the last are, are my friends and, and probably a combination of people within the company and outside of the company. It can be really, really lonely if you go at it alone. And so I rely a lot on the team that we've built to, to, to help because it's the only set of people that really are going through the exact same things as you are. And obviously you're focused on different problems, but it, it makes it not be lonely. And, and I think without them, uh, you would, I would question a million times what it is that I'm doing and why am I doing it? And then, and then your friends, right? Like the, the people who've been around, especially during some of like the hardest chapters of my life. And it's of all the things that I'm thankful for. And, you know, I have a lot to be thankful for, have a have exciting news about a new fundraising round and, and all of that. But the thing that I'm most thankful for are the are the friends that I've had that that have influenced and helped me get to where I'm at today, but then also enjoy the journey as well. So, so yeah. So, so here, you know, what I've learned about myself for the past 14 years being an entrepreneur, and I didn't see this like for most of the years, it's a new, a new finding that every day I spend most of my time working on myself, like growing as a human, my, my job, my career, my companies they are really conduits to these uncomfortable, difficult situations that let me look inward at like, you know, my historical self, myself now. And I realize, like, yeah, I'm like working on my business, but I'm actually working on myself. Um, and I think that's why having these people around me is so important because I see um, the value in it beyond like the surface. Um, so it's so cool that you're surrounded by so many people as well. No, that's a really cool perspective. I don't know if I really thought about it in that way, but I, I can attest to it. So, so yeah. 
Well, it's been so exciting to get to know you. Um, I long for the day where we can be in the same room together. Um, and I'm glad that you have the company of your golf um, game in the next room <laughs> to um, take the edge off a little bit when work gets a little tough. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Jody. I appreciate you having me. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Zaheer. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.